Hollywood's haunted, Hollywood's haunted, Hollywood's really, really haunted, Hollywood's haunted, Hollywood's haunted, Hollywood's haunted, the podcast. Uh, welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. I'm your host, Patrick B, with our other host, yeah, now I'm just going to point at you. Now I'm pointing at you, Jameson. Hey, I'm Jameson. I shouldn't have said your name. Now I'm pointing at you, phone. Wow. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's Charlie. <laughs> and, and up, everybody? Angels. Um, oh, <laughs> we're going to edit that out, too. Um, what's up, guys? Uh, welcome back to another episode. Um... Sorry, no, actually, welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, where we discuss everything from hauntings and murders, especially about the evil underbelly of Tinseltown. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm excited about today, that we got some, some pretty dope stories. Uh, Jameson is live in Connect Eye Cut, still. Hello, uh, East Coast? East Coast? Yeah, well... We'll have, like, a rap battle later. Well, be like a mini, East, so. East versus West. East versus West. You know, I am proud to represent Biggie Smalls. Proud. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so I'm going first, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's um, if you guys haven't guessed what the theme is of today, it was uh, stories that are kind of Manson adjacent, sort of. Uh, I kind of adjacent. felt like these stories kind of go together, but... Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But they're still interesting, (laughs) nonetheless. Uh, This isn't going to be about the Manson murders or Charles Manson. I think maybe next season we'll do an episode where we really fully delve into that. It's kind of just some interesting things that I like and think are interesting that kind of happened around the same time-ish, places-ish or whatever. So anyway, I'm going to talk about the Source family which is another cult uh, that came about a little, actually right around the time the Mansons came around. Um, but I digress. Uh, is it 60s? In the 60s, or, or yes. Or just like, like uh, exactly. And you said it was the source, like S-O-U-R-C-E? Yeah, source. So uh, for our listeners, you probably know who the Mansons are and Charlie Manson, but if you don't know, the Mansons uh, were responsible for the Tate LaBianca murders. I'm literally going to read this from Wikipedia really quickly. Uh, The Manson family in Los Angeles, California, who murdered five people on August 9th through 10th, 1969. Uh, On the night of August 8th to 9th, four members of the Manson family invaded the rented home of actress Sharon Tate and movie director Rowan Polanski uh, at 150 Silo Drive in Los Angeles. They murdered Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, along with three friends and an 18-year-old visitor who was slain as he was leaving the home. Polanski was not present on the night of the murders. Uh, He was working on a film in Europe. The murders were committed by Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Patricia Krenwinkle. Under the direction of Charles Manson, Watson drove Atkins, Krenwinkle, and Linda Kazabian from uh, Spawn Ranch to the residence on Silo Drive, Manson was a would-be musician who had tried to get a recording contract with record producer uh, Terry Melchler, uh, who was a previous renter of the house with musician Mark Lindsay and Melchler's girlfriend Candace Bergen. Uh, Melchler had stubbed Manson, leaving him disgruntled. 
Manson was allegedly displeased with the panic of the murder victims, so he took the four murderers plus Leslie Van, Van Houten and Steve Clem Grogan on a drive the following night to show them how to do it. He considered a number of murders and attempted one over the course of the next few hours. Then he ordered Caspian to drive the group to 3301 Waverly Drive. This was the home of supermarket executive Lino LaBianca and his wife Rosemary, co-owner of a dress shop. The house was located in Los Feliz, in the Los Feliz section of Los Angeles, next door to the house at which Manson and the family members had attended a party the previous year. Manson and his followers murdered both uh, Lino and Rosemary LaBianca in the early morning hours of August 10th. So that is the Manson murders. And we'll do a whole day where we get into that and, like, the craziness and, like, Charles Manson, his prison stay. But my story is about a much more pleasant cult or, well, commune. Yeah, they're a cult uh, called, <laughs> called the Source Family. Uh, I got most of my information. Um, there's not a lot on Wikipedia, but most of my information was from a... Uh, documentary that I've watched many times on Amazon Prime called The Source Family. In this documentary, they actually interview uh, many of the former members of The Source Family. Uh, and, and I just want to read off their names because uh, many of them still go by their given names from The Source Family. So we have Omni, the Aquarian, uh, Yahoa, number three, Zinaru, Harvest Moon, Octavius, Orbit, the Aquarium, or the Aquarian, <laughs> Electra, Galaxy, Electricity, the Aquarian, Isis, Magus, who Magus is probably my favorite in this story because he's kind of like the Judas uh, character. He's like the one to first doubt everything that's going on. And he really starts to like get into reality quicker than everybody else. Um, Heaven, Sunflower, and Robin, and a few others throughout. Uh, and Jeff. And Jeff, right? <laughs> uh, well, Robin actually went as Aom. Aom. Robin was that's her. That's hilarious. Aom. Robin wasn't. Uh, yeah. Wasn't her name? Yeah, that's, that's, it wasn't. That's, yeah. That's too funny. So uh, Jeff. The one. The one. <laughs> My name's Jeff. My name's Jeff. Uh, uh, Jeff the Aquarian. Sorry. <laughs> so I think this documentary really starts out quite perfectly with a story from the point of view of Magus. So in uh, 1965, he's kicked out of Harvard and he gets into the spiritual movement. Um, at Harvard, Tim Leary was actually one of his professors. Uh, so he drives to California and he stops at the Source restaurant. And at the Source restaurant, he sees these beautiful young women working there. And one of the women invites him to go meet Father. Wait, so that's how, sorry to interrupt, that's how the Source Family starts? It's a restaurant? Yes. Oh, okay. It's, I'll get into that. I'll get into that okay, in a second. Right. So he, he goes to this restaurant. It's like a health food restaurant called The Source the Source Restaurant oh, on Sunset right. yeah, Boulevard. Right. These beautiful women are all the waitresses and they're like, hey, come meet father. So he's taken up into the attic of the restaurant and he sees sure. this man sitting at the end of the room who's like he looks like a yogi or you know he's got this spirituality uh like about him uh he's got he if you see 
Jim Baker, who I'm going to talk about in a second, uh, he definitely has this Jesus prophet look to him. Long hair, sandals, the whole shebang. Uh, so he sees him at the end of the room. And at the time, Magus was definitely into the spiritual movement. So he sees this guy who's this yogi and he doesn't know what to do. All he knows or can think of is that you're supposed to kiss their feet. So he goes up to this guy, kisses his feet, and this guy says, fucking far out. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're my son and I am your father. And Magus just, just says, yes. What? Yep. Actually, so throughout this like whole documentary, (laughs) people who encounter this guy have these really weird spiritual encounters. You know, people say when they touch his shoulder, they feel electricity. They see lightning bolts shooting out of his eyes. It's crazy. Like this guy definitely has this energy about him that uh, these people claim to have witnessed. So anyways. Who is this guy? Dun, dun, dun. So James Edward Baker was born uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio on July 4th, 1922. Um, So they interview Dr. Patricia Bragg. Uh, She is uh, like she's a health food doctor or she she owns a wellness company. Her father was uh, Paul Bragg, who was one of the or was the first person to originate health food stores. And he wrote a book called uh, The Miracle of Fasting. So it's kind of like about intermittent fasting and like how it affects you spiritually and also uh, physically and affects your health in a positive way. Hmm. So James Edward Baker, his father leaves him as a baby. So he's friends with Patricia and he starts looking up to Paul Bragg as a father figure. And Paul definitely takes him under his wing. Uh, And at age 12, Jim Baker is uh, appointed, uh, appointed, I don't know. He wins America's Strongest Boy. uh, And he becomes a judo champion. So he studies health. He's starting to get physically fit. And he's a great fighter. Uh, according to Wiki, though, it says he studied jujitsu. So I don't know if that story kind of got, Ooh. you know, or turned maybe, around over time. Or maybe they just, uh, he just studied so many martial arts they couldn't keep track. So it's not clear if he studied jujitsu yeah. or judo. Yeah, but okay. he claims That's some form of martial arts. Yes, he claims that he won a uh, silver star in World War Two. Some of his followers also claim that he did hand-to-hand combat in World War II, but this can't be, uh, this can't be uh, verified. Verified, yeah. They never found James Edward Baker's name on any of the enlistments. So, uh, okay. Patricia so they can't even prove that he was even in the military. No, they can't. They can't find his name. So, unless he went uh, by a different name at this time, or they don't know. So, and right. no one was like. I want to bite you. Yeah. But also, James Edward Baker, like many cult leaders, claim a lot of things throughout this time. Uh, Patricia describes him as 6'4 and handsome. Uh, So he moves to California to become a stuntman. Uh, He's influenced by a group of beatniks called the Nature Boys. Uh, Yeah. 
He maintains a vegetarian lifestyle and lives according to the laws of nature. Uh, he studies religion and the esoteric. So in 1955, he opens the Aware Inn restaurant. It's the first natural food restaurant in the U.S. Now, later on, he would uh, tell his followers that he got the money for uh, the Aware Inn and the Source restaurant, a restaurant he opens up later on, by a string of bank robberies. And he claims anywhere from 2 to 11 bank robberies. 2 to 11? 2 to 11 is what they said, which seems specific. <laughs> and also not specific. Uh, 3 or 100, I forget yeah. how many I robbed. Also in, 19, in 1955, reported, uh, it is reported that he used a judo chop to kill a man who attacked him <laughs> with a knife. Uh, Baker is acquitted of all charges. There's actual news. He uh, yelled judo chop as he killed him, a la Austin Powers. <laughs> wait, wait, so he actually did kill yeah, a so, person? Yeah, and that's a real In thing. There was actual, oh, there was newspaper clippings wow, of this. So, man. Uh, the chop is real. <laughs> In 19... He did study. Yeah. He did study. Uh, so this, this guy's, you know, a force to be reckoned with. He's a yeah. successful businessman, very smart, and can kick your ass. <laughs> and 6'4". Six, and 6'4". Six, uh, in 1962, he opens the Discovery Inn restaurant in Topanga. In 1963, he gets... Wait. Oh, sorry. I just... I think I know which restaurant is. It might still be there, yeah. honestly. Uh, in 1963, he gets into a situation uh, with a TV actress and her wealthy husband. The headline of the newspaper says the pair duel over beauty and he ends up killing this wealthy husband with two chops to the throat and a bullet to the head oh well <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that'll do it <laughs> yep <laughs> he was like judo chop judo chop bang yeah and i did like the two chops and he's like oh he's dead but let me make sure yep uh in 1966 he opens the Old World restaurant, which actually ends up becoming a chain. So, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. He's killed two people now? Yes. He's killed two people, and he's and he's acquitted on both the charges. Yes, because of self-defense. Oh, self-defense. Okay, got yeah. it. Uh, so, during this time, uh, after 1963, he meets a French girl named Dora. She gets him into marijuana and acid. <sighs> Wait, the not 60s never not, yeah uh he's 43 and she's 19 oh, yeah. yep uh so uh, it's reported that he does a lot of speed he would sleep for days and he starts taking money from the cash registers of the restaurants oh so the investors take his restaurant his restaurants away from him because he's a big mess at this time uh, but on April 1st, 1969, he opens The Source Restaurant, a vegetarian restaurant on Sunset Boulevard and Sweetser. Um, and to give you guys some reference of time, in August of 1969, that's the Manson murders. Uh -huh. So the restaurant is very successful, grossing up to $10,000 a day at its peak popularity. Wow. It made more money per square foot than any restaurant in the country. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's very, very small. Um, I think it's where Cabo Cantina is right That's now. That's right. That's right. On Sunset yeah. Boulevard. But I'm not sure. Uh, Which is a very small place. That's mostly patio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this this restaurant was mostly patio. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it starts getting famous people coming through, like Goldie Hawn, Steve McQueen, and even John Lennon. Uh, in Annie Hall, they actually filmed a scene of Woody Allen's Annie Hall, where uh, Woody Allen is at a restaurant, and he orders alfalfa sprouts and a plate of mashed yeast. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... It's weird I just ate that. Yeah. The the restaurant has, you know, popularity if just out of curiosity and also because like the spiritual movement is really big at the time and people are trying to, you know, uh, they're experiencing health food for the first time, which is becoming popular and they're trying to clean, you know, their bodies and their souls. That that makes sense. It it reminds me of uh, the Dr. Bromer's soap. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's like a new, that's like a have new you, cult right there. Jameson, have you ever used Dr. Bromer's soap? I don't think I've ever even heard of that before. It is, it's it's great soap. It's cruelty free, but on the label, on the cover, is like ramblings, like religious, spiritual ramblings. Like it, sound, <laughs> it sounds like some cult leader's like, like notes yeah. like accidentally got put on this bottle. The print is like in an eight <laughs> font. But and it's like covers the whole label and it's each label is different and it's just on oh. and on rambling but apparently he's just like a like a christian soap maker so like oh, they're, they're okay. not so like, it's not it's not ironic like he's not doing it on purpose like it's it's a real deal yeah it's it's, it's weird it's weird <laughs> it's but weird the, but the soap is really good Soap's especially because it's a concentrate yeah I, uh, thanks dr Bruno. i'm an irish spring guy myself oh, so okay. I, I don't know okay. <laughs> Um, anyways, so, uh, he's inspired by Yogi Bhajan. Uh, during this time, he becomes a softer, gentler person. Uh, there's, someone claims that he had a picture of Yogi Bhajan over the fireplace at the Source restaurant. And they, she said, why don't you hang up your picture over the fireplace? And he goes, no, I could never do that. You know, you know, I'm not arrogant like that and six months later he puts his picture up over the fireplace uh so he wants to start having like his own followers and uh he's quoted saying i had to do it on my own i had to get my own children Uh, so uh so people start to you know start to work at the restaurant and join his spiritual movement and uh, especially younger people and mostly women. Uh, but a lot of them are choosing a healthy lifestyle. So it's not like the Mansons where he kind of used drugs to control and manipulate. It's kind of the opposite of that. Sunflower quits drugs to join the Source family. Uh, Heaven, at 12 years old, is sneaking uh, away after school to go work as a waitress at the source family you know 12 12 12 years old Jesus. uh and he was Rob- a kid when he said children yeah uh robin who is aom uh is 19 when she meets jim baker uh she said she was very sick before she met jim baker she was sick all the time and then after meeting him and you know, eating the food at the source fan- uh, restaurant, which is probably really, really good for you. It's probably just a gluten allergy or 
something, <laughs> you know? Hilarious. That's hilarious. She uh, starts to feel better, and she actually marries Jim Baker in 1970. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in May of 1970, they hold their first meditation class. So meditation is like a new thing, you know, like a lot of people don't really know about it. And like these people are pretty wound up, I would assume, like late 50s, you know, 60s and 70s. People probably have a lot of stress, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they uh, described the meditation class as a powerful psychedelic experience, you know. And like when you meditate, you know, it is very powerful. You're like you know, at peace, you know, you let go. And so these people were probably, you know, experiencing this for the first time and like just didn't know how to take it. So uh, Jim Baker starts going by Father Yod. That's what he calls himself. Yod. Yod. Y-A-A-D or something. Y-O-D. Not God, guys. Yod. Yeah, exactly. Or you can call me Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. Okay. So he so he start he he starts to notice that his followers are living in vans and small apartments. Um, so you know he convinces them to pull their money together and he's gonna buy them a house. So now he like they work for him at the restaurant basically for free at this point. You know, Jeez, and right. he's like. Oh, give me your money. I'll buy you a house. So, like, now he kind of controls their money, too, which is very strange. Uh, so, it's uh, he buys the original home of the Chandler family of the L.A. Times. Mm. And on March 1972, they move into the mother house. All right. Uh, and Robin, uh, Ohm, becomes the mother of the group. And they really start to treat her as if she's uh, their mother. Magus describes the experience of living in the mother house as everything just seemed magical. People would come and go. Uh, at some point, a piano shows up in the living room and musicians start to show up. Uh, Andre Previn's daughter, uh, Sky Saxon of the Seeds comes. Uh, the niece of the LA mayor at the time starts to come. And then uh, Bud Court, uh, who you might know from Harold and Maude. He plays Harold. He actually joins the Source family and is a member of the Source family for a few years. Hmm. Uh, this is before Harold and Maude, right? Um, I think it's around the same time. Oh, okay. E- Echo. <laughs> Harold and Maude. The people that are Harold and Maude's cast members include Cat Stevens. Uh, no, Echo, stop. Okay, never mind. We'll look it up later. <laughs> uh, cool, so where was I? Oh, okay, so the, here's a little side story about a member known as Isis and how she joins the Source family, and I thought this was interesting. So she, at the time, was living with Rob Reiner and Richard Dreyfus. And she was engaged to Ron Raphael, who was a uh, famous rock photographer. Uh, And for one of his photo shoots, he says, I need uh, men who look like Jesus. And he tells her, go find me Jesus's. 
<laughs> so she like starts to look and she of course goes to the source restaurant where if you ever see a picture of the members of the source family they all look like jesus that's like yeah and they wear white at the restaurant that's like their uniform and they all have long hair beards they all look like jesus so even the girls yeah <laughs> uh so she meets jim baker and she just as soon as she sees him she uh wants to follow him you know and she just devotes her whole life to him it's like instant magic um and she tries to convince her fiance ron to go with to go with her uh and ron says why would i give up my career and my art to wait tables uh and he describes them like they they were like little automatons and someone was pulling the strings there was no secret it was a cult uh another uh another account from the outside was Electra's sister evie shapiro said it almost felt like someone had come in and replaced her with a slightly vacant hippie uh and electra to quote electra she says i was a hundred percent yes uh 100 percent. 100 percent. yes i don't know uh so yeah well yeah so evie shapiro electra's sister basically says that she had a bad relationship with her father and that's kind of what all these people are looking to get from jim baker is this father figure that uh they don't have in their life so uh orbit and electra liquidate their victorian flat with antiques uh stereo equipment three vehicles in three days and the next night orbit says the next night i had a job at the source restaurant washing dishes many of the members go to social security and apply to have their last names changed to the aquarian <laughs> so it'd be like yeah Tia the Aquarian. Well, I probably have a cool, I probably have a cooler name. I was about to say, yeah, like, that, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, so police start to show up at the house because of so many underage girls hanging out. So Jim Baker, Father God, declares that every underage girl who's in the Source family has to get married. Yep. Uh, has to get married to him no to a member oh, there okay, okay. Was... <laughs> so yeah, yeah. They're underage. because they're underage but if you're living with your husband it's legal um... yeah so in 1971 is the first wedding between sunflower and heaven uh sunflower oh is 28 and heaven is 16 uh sunflower is uh, she is the reason why we have this documentary and most of the information. She uh, had a video camera, which, you know, wasn't very common at that time. And right. she, all of the footage from this documentary is Sunflower's footage. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. She is appointed the family historian and temple keeper. And she follows Father Yod everywhere he goes. Uh, at 4 a.m., they get up uh to ice cold water doing x or jump into ice cold water they have a swimming pool there they do exercises breakfast of raw food uh the food had to be less than 15 minutes after they picked it 
or else it would lose the life force. Ah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And then after... We, we learned that in food handling. Yep. Then after breakfast, they did one six-second inhalation of the sacred herb, which is weed. Ah, okay. And they say that at that uh, point in the morning, it felt like LSD. So uh, we can bake, huh? Mm-hmm. So they would sit for meditations where Father Yod would just riff for hours. Uh, and they would listen to it. Uh, in nine, uh, uh, April 7th, 1972, Sunflower and Heaven have the first child of the Source family. Sunflower is goes through 22 hours of labor. So the thing about the Source family is they are like Christian scientists. They don't believe in normal medicine. So she didn't go to hospital. She had the baby right there at the, in the living room. And she's like 17? She's 16. Yeah. Jesus. She's going through 22 hours of labor, and that's when they start to realize that something's not right. Uh, when she has the baby, the baby's head comes out, and they realize that the umbilical cord is wrapped around the baby's throat three times. Uh, and there's actual footage of this. I watched the birth what? of this kid. So uh, Sunflower Sunf got records that? everything. Oh my god! Everything is recorded. That is a that's impressive. Yeah. So this isn't a made up story. This you see this happen on camera, and the umbilical cord is wrapped around the neck. Uh, when the baby is born, it is stillborn. Father Yod takes this child. He kneels down and he says, "My God." If you let this child live, I will never speak nothing but the word of God so long as I live. And then he breathes a very strong breath into the mouth of the baby. And five seconds later, the baby comes to life. What the what? Mm -hmm. He pulls out a piece of paper from his pocket and he says, I'm going to name this child Solomon, child of the sun. And yeah, so many of the followers believe that this is... A miracle to happen you know and it's pretty crazy i mean you know and all that was on camera all that's on camera yeah i'm breathing life into oh my god well yeah insane. the baby like you uh. see him unwrap the umbilical cord and the baby comes out and the baby's very still and then he just kneels down and the next thing you see is the baby it's moving and crying there's no sound uh in the right. video but you do see this happen that's crazy wow okay so Jim Baker starts studying all forms of spirituality uh, from Templar, the Templars to the Druids, to the Native Americans, spiritual magic. Uh, on, at one point, they start doing ritual magic and people claim to have these hallucinations of seeing vampires around the estate. Uh, I don't know what that's all about. It was very, what? very oh, weird. Oh, what? Uh, oh. Yeah, I think it was... Electra that says like it was as real as me talking to you right now to she says that to the guys filming uh and this is when Magus starts to think that things are kind of crazy and this is like when he first starts questioning things is because people are acting legit weird you know and they're hallucinating and rolling around on the ground around this time uh father Yod comes to Robin and says that he wants multiple wives. He's legally married to Robin at this time. And she just says, you dirty old man, you're on a lust trip. Uh, 
she's not happy about it. She is completely heartbroken because she's like in a legit marriage. She's 19. She's actually in love. Mm -hmm. And this is like his second or third wife is Robin. And it doesn't, yeah, he can change his mind. You know, he's, he's in control of all of this. Uh, He marries Galaxy, who's 17 and eventually gets 13 wives in total. Yod. Yod. Yep. <laughs> Thirteen wives. Jim Thirteen Baker. wives. Yeah. Got it. Baker's dozen. Yep. Baker's uh, dozen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Magus starts to lose respect. Uh, Makushla becomes his favorite wife. She's twenty-five, uh, and Robin starts to express that she wants to leave. And because of him having multiple wives and this kind of being a thing now, many of the members start to leave. Uh, Magus, his son, ends up getting an ear infection and they choose to treat it by chanting and uh, putting blue light on the kid. And Magus is afraid his kid's going to die. So he just takes his kid and he leaves at this point. Um, And the neighbors start to put pressure on the landlord to evict them because the Manson murders actually happened about two blocks away from where the mother house is. So the neighbors are like, this cult is freaking us out. They need to leave. So, could you imagine being in that neighborhood? Yeah, being right. Like, the like, Manson seriously. murders just happened. You're like, oh god, there's another cult up yeah. the block. Uh, <laughs> so, in the 1973, they purchase the father house. Uh, they have 140 members in a three bedroom, three bath house. Holy crap. Yeah. Jesus. They build what they call cubby holes, 150 cubby holes, which are basically bunk beds. They look like when you are on a train and they have those uh, little okay. train beds. Mm-hmm. Little sleeping compartments. Yeah. Um, he gives their, they have a band that's in this group. Uh, they, I'll tell you the name later. Uh, he must have smelled so bad in that house. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 150 oh, hippies all living in the same house. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so he gives uh, a member named Octavius $30,000 to buy equipment, uh, music equipment, and they turn the garage into a recording studio, and this is where they start to create their psychedelic music band, uh, which is kind of a jam band. Uh, the band kind of jams over Father Yod, uh, like, ranting and speaking. Uh, throughout this whole documentary, they're playing the music from this band, and they're incredible. Oh. They're so good. This music is insane. Uh, they're very, very talented. And uh, so they record 65 albums. They're rare and coveted albums of psychedelia. So, uh, What's the name of the band, or what do they call themselves? The band is called Yahoa 13, but that's a name they come up with later. Uh, I'll tell you about that name in, later. Yeah. Uh, Available on iTunes now? Ah, right. uh, maybe, maybe, actually. <laughs> um, so Octavi- Octavius tries to go to every recording uh, studio to get them on a label, and they're denied left and right. So they start performing at high schools. Uh they're also trying to recruit new me- new members as well. Oh, jeez. Yeah, from high schools. Uh, <laughs> 1973, they perform at Beverly Hills High School. 
University High School, Immaculate Heart College, and UCLA. Uh, around this time, he starts to sign partners for the women. So he starts to decide that, oh, you're with Orbit, now you're with Cher. <laughs> you know, I just said a name. Uh, so many of the members are not happy about this, and he loses even more members. Uh, they start to practice sexual magic at this time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which he learned magic. from the Order of the Golden Dawn, an occult society channeling sexual energy for magical purposes. Wait, did you say Golden Dawn? Dawn. Dawn. Okay, Dawn. Got it. Oh, God. Uh, for this, this is too much for a lot of the members. So a lot of people leave. Robin tries to leave, but she's uh, discovers that she's pregnant. Uh, she has her baby, Tao, uh, who's alive and well today. Um, and she wants Father Yod to come to his senses. But at this time, the followers start to call him God. And now he starts going by Yehoah, which he says is the name of God. That's why the band's called Yehoah 13. Yehoah. Yeah. Not Jehovah, Yehoah. Yehoah. Uh, they start getting hounded by building inspectors, health inspectors, and child services. There's a sense of unease, and they start to think that Armageddon is coming around 1975 or 76 is what they say. Uh, so then they sell the Source restaurant and they move to Hawaii. Uh, they have these dreams of starting a healing center and a spa. Uh, they moved to Kauai in January of 1975, and they are not welcome whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> previous to them moving, uh, the Krishnas have a camp there, and there's another hippie commune called the Taylor Camp. So this is like kind of where things start to unravel, you know? Usually this is what like I've noticed is like the end of cults, is when they start to like abuse people sexually... And not saying that, you know, this was necessarily abuse because most of these were consenting adults, but it's like things start to get dark, you know, at this mm -hmm. point. And uh, they move to Hawaii and the Hawaiian government is like, absolutely not. The police start to intimidate them, follow them everywhere they go. Uh, nobody will hire any of them at any of the stores. Uh they're unwanted by the government because mostly there's a lot of hippies on welfare there and they just see like you you mainlanders coming here and you know taking advantage and you're just gonna suck our resources right. yeah. um they also waste a lot of money they buy a boat for fishing and an airplane to fly over the ocean to see the fish uh, to see the fish the local you just go to the aquarium yeah, that's hilarious uh, the I local... feel like we're too high guys <laughs> well like or was it like okay Father Yod like... he has like a lot of money from his restaurants but he's kind of like not smart with it at this time even though he had been in the past um but yeah the local newspaper starts to accuse them or accuses them of being the Manson family uh, people shoot at the commune, like they bullets start to fly. Oh, wow. um, so Father Yod buys a bunch of guns and he puts out armed gu armed guards. Sorry, he puts out armed guards 
uh, to guard the commune. But many of these people have never held a gun before. Most of them were hippies. Yeah, most of them had uh, dodged the draft, and a lot of them are thinking, "I didn't want to go to Vietnam, and here I am." holding a gun, right, you yeah. know, guarding this commune. So it's... They're like 16 or something. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> not what they want. Uh, so everything starts to crumble. Uh, in July of 1975, they start to notice that Father Yod is taking these long meditations, these periods of silence. He starts to become pretty depressed. Uh and he says, and I quote, I taught you everything. There is nothing left to teach you. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can learn religion. Well, you, so this else. is usually where cults come to like a boiling point. It's like either they're going to say it's Armageddon and they're going to give you a bunch of, you know, uh, a bunch of Kool-Aid, you know, or... <laughs> You know, let's go kill some people. So this is like where it's starting to come to a boiling point for this cult. Uh, one morning, he gives the group a bowl of magic mushrooms with source dressing on it. Uh, and he takes... What, is that ranch? Oh, God. Yeah. Please let it be ranch. Oh, I, I don't... It's... I mean, it's it's probably vegan, so probably not. Um, <laughs> it's Italian. Um, so he takes everybody out side and he tells them uh i'm not god i'm just a man and at this point many of the members start to like have different feelings towards the commune they they kind of feel disappointed you know that he's expressing that he's no longer god or he never was god that he's just a human being uh so that they say that was the time where the biggest change happens on August 25th, 1975, during the morning meditation, Makushla happens to be wearing a black dress and he tells her that you are dressed appropriately and it's time to go flying. Uh, he wants to go hang gliding without any lessons and he wants Mercury to launch him off the side of a cliff. <laughs> yep. Uh, as they're leaving to go uh, to the mountains, uh, he leans out of the car to someone who's coming up the driveway, driveway and says, this is in French and I'm very, very sorry. Moriturite salutamus. We who are about to die salute you. Oh, they like ACDC. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, French uh, ACDC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on this day, the members claim that there was an incredible, powerful wind. Uh, Jim gets on the hang glider. All of the women are screaming, saying, no, don't do this. Uh, and Mercury launches him off. As soon as he went off, the wind stops. And, <laughs> yep. And he pulls out into a nosedive as he glides over the water. And he crashes, uh... <laughs> nearby on the island. When they find him, he's alive. And they carry him back to the commune. At this point, he asks to go to the hospital. Uh, no which, more of that Eastern medicine. Yeah. <laughs> which they're against. And basically his followers convince or tell him, you're against this. So he ends up deciding that he's not going to go to the hospital. And at 5 p.m., he passes away. 
for multiple days or just a few days afterwards, about three days, they pray over the body, they have a ritual, uh, and they, uh, they say in the local newspaper right next to the announcement of his death, there was an announcement or an article that says a new star shines its light on Hawaii, which they, the members say is kind of like the last miracle from Father Yod. And with, there was another star in the sky, is that what he said? Mm-hmm. The same okay. day that he, he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They uh, noticed that, huh? What's that? They noticed that, huh? Mm-hmm. It's in the newspaper. It's printed right next to his announcement of his death. Oh, like there was like a scientific, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, discovery. Well, it wasn't discovery like, a, you know what? It feels like there's one more star in the sky today. <laughs> like you're uh, saying that there just happened to be a story about a new star and they're like, yeah, that's because of him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I mean, which is sweet. I think it's sweet. Sure. Uh, you know, as sweet as this can be. Um, unf- uh, within two years, though, the family completely separates and goes their separate ways, and that is it. That is the end of the Source family. Damn. Yeah. Wow. That's true. Now it's crazy because I thought that you were gonna wrap around and start telling me that that was Jim, like as in Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Jim Baker. Oh, crazy! That is crazy. And That's like the so same I was name. like, it's like I figured that this was like something that he did in the beginning and then he kind of got away from that one into the evangelical, you know, route instead or something like that. That is a crazy coincidence though. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, you know, being a cult leader and uh, an evangelical person sometimes could be compared very closely. So, Oh yeah. Well, he definitely took a lot from many, many yogis and, you know, other leaders in the past and kind of warped it into what he believed. Um, I just like this story because it's like the best case scenario for a cult, you know, yes. like nobody's murdered. Nobody really gets hurt. Uh, right. However, many of the members seem to have very mixed feelings about it. Uh, Robin is very angry. Magus definitely has his opinions, but for the most part, many of them are grateful but claim that they would if they could go back in time they would not join the source family at all and never do it again uh, i mean especially with the whole disappointing end like that's like yeah uh, like you look back and like oh fuck i just wasted like seven years yeah. of my life like i i should probably go go back to uh, school and many of them are embarrassed afterwards because uh, they show a clip on SNL that's clearly making fun of the Source family and people's views towards cults or to- towards these spiritual. Uh, I can't talk today. Towards these like spiritual <laughs> groups uh, is very negative, especially well, especially because of the Mansons. At least in my opinion, that's what you know everyone's gonna think of when they hear about a group like that, especially it's like the exact same time. You know, absolutely. Yeah. That bar was set so high too. It's like, especially with the mother and the father talk. Yeah. Stuff. You know, yeah. they all, they all, they all did that in the Manson family. They call it the family, Manson family. Yeah, all the, exactly. It's always the father and the mother and the family stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's like it's filling a void, you know. And so, like, on one hand, like with the Source family, on one hand, like there was a lot of good that came out of it, like 
you know, these people had this emotional void fulfilled, you know, there wasn't drugs, nobody, you know, went on a mass murder rampage or anything. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, like, he definitely took advantage of, you know, these runaways and these vulnerable children and people you know yeah people with obvious yeah i mean the, the whole yeah the father thing is like yeah, but, how many of them yeah but many of them still live on the island many of them still work like half of them still work in some sort of health field um yeah. and the other half do the exact opposite like one is a dealer uh card dealer in uh las vegas uh, another one went to work as like a CEO. Like they have like either they stuck with it and kind of took what they learned and stayed up with the lifestyle, or they went the complete opposite way. You know, mm, that's crazy. But yeah, so that's the source family. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. The source. Yep. Um, well, I think it was ironic that he he preached all that stuff and then it kind of ended up backfiring on him. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but yeah, you know, it's like it's all... me to a hospital. I'm dying. You're like, you don't need a hospital. You need some some fresh moss yeah. and uh, some banana leaves. And, right. and then he's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, pineapples will help me. Get me pineapples. And I hate to say this because this is a rumor, uh, and it hasn't been proven true or not, but. Maybe you should edit this out. No, because you said What's... it was a rumor. Now, like, you know, maybe you're not but saying this is true. When Anton Lavey died, the rumor says that he like prayed to God to save him That's or something right. like yeah. that. I uh, I read into that. That was. Was, I don't know if that's that true. That was probably a rumor, but yeah. Who really, yeah, who really but knows? like when you're dying, like you're gonna like. That's your the biggest body is... fear ever. All bets are off. That's yeah. the biggest fear ever. Yeah. So if if, if you thought you know you had a way back, <laughs> you know, yeah. You're, yeah, you'd probably say anything. It's funny you were talking about Anton Lavey because you you know obviously he started his church around that time as well. So it, it yeah. seems that the late the mid to late 60s was definitely a time of people trying to do the spiritual leading of some oh, kind, yeah. whether That's it was for true. Satan yeah. or for God or for their own purpose. Uh, um, but it, a lot of it seemed to come down to the whole sex thing, like the whole, like, you know, we sex want as many magic. women as possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the Manson family was all about that. They all had they all had to sleep with each other and stuff. And, you know, it was all young girls and, and young guys, too, of course, but yeah. just young people that are very vulnerable and lost. And you start mixing in drugs, and you can pretty much do anything you want. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. No, I took notes. Oh. I took notes for when I start my cult. So. <laughs> <laughs> which, which you'll be joining, Jameis, in the aquarium. Plenty of sex, check. <laughs> Lots of healthy food, check. Sex for magical purposes. Um. <laughs> Multiple wives for myself and no one else. Check. Check. Yep. <laughs> Renaming myself oh, yeah. to James Baker. We're going to have a dental as well, so okay. it'll be fine. So were you were you saying that they, they did the hang glider thing after the bowl of mushrooms, or was that like, it was like a, a couple, couple days later? It was a couple days later, yeah. Okay, so he wasn't high on mushrooms when he smashed into the ground <laughs> no. at 100 miles an hour. Okay. I, I mean, I don't think so, at least. Right. That seems but. so weird too, because it kind of seems like he was like, it kind of seems like like the way he brought up the whole hang gliding thing. It kind of almost seems like a, 
I'm going to kill myself, but I need to make it look like an accident. I'm also not 100% sure I want to do it, so I'm going to do it in a hang glider, you know, like, right. in case... He, he, in case course. You know what I mean? Like, I, that seems so strange yeah. to me, you know? Like, out of nowhere, some guy like that, Ooh. like, being like, you know what? I need to go hang gliding. Yeah. We're going hang gliding. We're doing this, guys. I mean, his intention... Or, 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 or doesn't matter. Let's go. Yeah. I think he was just... Yeah, he was just looking for an out somehow. Yeah. And, and it was like, yeah, like maybe there was wind, and he was like, oh, there's no wind. No, no, Makushla, <laughs> who was on the hill watching it, oh, says, that's right, yeah. as soon as he got up in the air, it was a light switch turned off of the wind. Oh, man, I think Yod made a made, <laughs> made a decision right yeah. there. Ouch. But you should watch this documentary. It's crazy, and uh, honestly, their music is really. I like music I, was good actually. I yeah. thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, but they're also jamming like twenty four hours a day, you know. <laughs> and high as fuck, so yeah, that makes sense. They recorded sixty three consecutive albums. It was just <laughs> yeah, sixty five. Yeah, sixty five. That's crazy. Yeah. God damn. And um, you can't find one of them anywhere. I, I'm, gonna look. To look I'm gonna up. look. I'm gonna look. Honestly. Am I going next or are you going next? You're going next, Jim. Rachel Jimison's going last. Are you going? I get to go last, yo. What's up? Do you... Oh. Well, because yours kind of goes into <laughs> yours kind of is like goes into the whole Manson thing a little bit. That's true. Yeah. Um. Cool. So I'm gonna be talking to you guys about Sharon Tate. Woo! You guys, I'm sure, are familiar with. Um. Actually, it was Sharon Marie Tate. She was born in Texas, uh, moved to Los Angeles, of course, because she wanted to become a movie star. Don't we all? Don't we all? One day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was, uh, yeah, mostly like small film jobs at first. She got her film debut in Barabbas, um, which, of course, is a great story brought to you by the Gospel of Mark. Um, oh, Barabbas! Yes, yes. <laughs> we all remember that author. Good old God. Uh, <laughs> Good old God. <laughs> it's our president's favorite. Did book. you say Yod? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was the previous story. Yes. Oh, this is, this sorry. God with a G, or maybe a J. I don't know. It's been a, it's been a while since I read it. The Bible. Um, but uh, <laughs> she was um, uh, actually. After that, she was going to be in Eye of the Devil. Um, but uh, before the film, um, her and Jay Sebring actually went to visit a uh, Alexander Wiccan. And I'm guessing the last name was his creation because he's a Wiccan priest. And he also, they also visited a priestess in London to study for this film. Um, it was... Uh, Basically, Sharon plays a witch in in the film, which um, I haven't watched. I just watched like some a couple of clips in the trailer and stuff, but I definitely want to watch it. Um, she actually was um, she was given a lot of good marks for the role. She she did very well, and a couple of the parts I was watching were really creepy. Actually, she tells this hypnotizes this lady to go, walk her off a cliff. It was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> the, all the things you want a person to do um, but they actually in order to promote the film they created a documentary called All Eyes on Sharon Tate uh, which I got to watch that's online you can check that out on YouTube 
it's pretty funny because it's not really a documentary it's definitely a promo for the film mm-hmm. um yeah it's it, it's it's and it's very much like Sharon Tate, you know, wears makeup, and this is how they put it on before the set. Um, I did kind of like it, though, because it kind of provided a cool... bat. Like, some of the set, you know, some of the scenes were actually um, uh, very intriguing. Like, she was very honest. She she even said that um, she was not an actress that would be good in Shakespeare or anything, you know. She said that her biggest goal was to do comedy. Um, she thought yeah. it was very um hard to do comedy and that's why she wanted to do it Uh, because she said that like not every you know she's like some people are funny you know but you know it's hard to learn that i was like oh that's that's interesting and just a very blunt and honest thing um which i feel like after doing all this research was one of the reasons that she was liked so much um she was she got into the industry because she did a lot of beauty pageants and stuff when she was a kid mm-hmm. and that's how she actually got um a cast and she would get a lot of screen uh, screenings or readings for roles she actually did an audition for a lot of big roles but she was never cast because she was so young at the time and she was just a, a beautiful person you know um so after the documentary is released um she actually stays in london and that's where she gets to meet her future husband, Roman Polanski. Uh, you may remember Roman Polanski. He's uh, from uh, Rosemary's Baby, uh, Chinatown, or fleeing the United States after having sexual intercourse <laughs> with a minor. Um, he's actually still a fugitive, by the way. Never to return. Uh, yeah, never to return. Um, apparently, I think it was like the pianist he won an award for, or something. Yeah, that was like the big, the, the big thing. Like he he couldn't come back to receive it. They actually had like FBI at the awards because they were mm-hmm. waiting for him. But yeah, it's yeah, I think he got best director for that. That's right. Yeah, um, and that's why. I... But uh, so yeah, they uh, they get married. Um, and then uh, Sharon Tate and Polanski move into the Chateau Marymount in Los Angeles for a few months um, until the, they uh, had arranged a lease uh, of Patty Duke's home on Summit Ridge Drive in Beverly Hills. And that was uh, during the late uh, latter part of uh, 1968. Um, after that, they buy a home in the hills. Um, and um, this was right after... Um, the film uh, Valley of the Dolls, which was probably her best uh, film. That was the one she was definitely known for. She was actually nominated for a Golden Globe uh, for the most promising newcomer. Um, uh, after that, in the summer of 1968, uh, Tate began working or began working on the film The Wrecking Crew, which was a comedy, uh, which, which she had been dying to do. So she was really excited about that. She played Freya Carlson, who is an accident-prone spy who also has a romantic interest in Dean Martin, uh, who was playing Matt Helm. She actually performed her own stunts and was taught martial arts by Bruce Lee. Hmm. And that's um, where the whole, like, uh, in um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, she's watching that movie, right? Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, she... She, uh, Sorry, I was just remembering Bruce Lee's character from. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> they make him so, seem like he's a total he's jerk, a total but dick. Yeah, that's funny. Maybe he was. Yeah, you know. I wonder if that's why he had her, or why he had him in the movie, because she helped train him for that role. 
Yeah. Or he helped her train for that role. Excuse maybe, me. Maybe, yeah. That would make huh. sense. Um, I think that's, yeah, what's happening in the movie, right? That Bruce Lee's training Sharon Tate. That's like a whole scene in the movie. I think... Is that what leads up to the to the fight scene between him and Brad Pitt? Is it is that what he's on the set for? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's been a while. Okay, because I thought that when by that by that point in the movie, the movie's already been made and it's in theaters. No, that this happens later on. No, the, I don't know. Uh, Apparently, we whatever. need to watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, I haven't right. seen it in a while. Watch it again. Yeah. All right. So on August eighth, nineteen sixty nine, Sharon Tate uh, was entertaining. Uh, actress Joanna Pettet and singer Barbara Lewis for lunch at her home. Uh, she was actually confiding in them her disappointment at Roman Polanski's delay in returning from London. Uh, Polanski called her that afternoon, and as did her younger sister Deborah, who called to ask if she and their sister Patty could spend the night with her. Tate declined, uh, offering to have them over another time later that evening. Um, Afterwards, she dined at El Coyote Cafe with Jay Sebring, Wojciech Frakowski, Abigail Folger, uh, who is the heiress to the uh, Folger's fortune. Uh, <laughs> the best part of waking up. Uh, <laughs> returning at about 10.30 uh, p.m. Uh, to her place uh members of the charles manson's uh family as you said earlier yeah the family in quotes uh murdered sharon tate jc ring frakowski and folger shortly after midnight their bodies were discovered the following morning by tate's housekeeper winifred chapman police arrived at the scene to find a young man shot dead in his car in the driveway later identified as stephen parent inside the house the bodies of tate and sebring were found in the living room a long rope tied around each of their necks connected them. On the front lawn lay the bodies of Frakowski and Folger. All the victims except Parent had been stabbed numerous times. The coroner's report for Tate noted that she had been stabbed 16 times and that five of the wounds were in and of themselves fatal. Mm. Um, um, everyone was actually stabbed and shot except for Sharon Tate. She was just stabbed. But they oh actually, God. the I mean, Charles Manson, didn't he say, like, you know, he wanted to just make it as vicious as possible, right? Like, yeah. if I can remember correctly. Yeah. Um, that sounds like him. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they had tied uh, Sharon Tate and J.C. Bring uh, actually together at, at a, uh, to the staircase. Um, and Sharon Tate was actually eight months pregnant at the time. So, unfortunately, uh, her and the child did pass away. So everybody kind of knows this story, um, but what people don't know is that on August 1st, 1968, which was uh, basically um, a year before, uh, I believe, is that a full year? Yeah, about a year and seven days before this happened. Uh, she was uh, in a Faith magazine, interviewed her about a psychic experience that she had. Or they actually asked her if she would ha if she had any psychic experiences. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't even about, like, they didn't know this story to interview her. They just kind of got this out of her. Um, so she said, she said, yes, she had one. And she said that Jay Sebring uh, owned a home uh, uh, that was owned by uh, 
Sorry, one second. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, JC brings home in Benedict Canyon, um, oh. and that was not the house where her and Jay were actually killed. That was on Cielo Drive, just off of Benedict. Uh, but the houses aren't even a mile apart, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting in the whole uh, Charles Manson and james baker cult you know or the source oh yeah but everybody in the same area yeah that's also like where all of the like the hippie houses were that's true yeah that's that's true you know it's a nice area it's a good nature spot you know yeah i I would definitely be up there um so yeah they're yeah they weren't even a mile apart so sharon actually used to date jc ring this was before she met roman polanski um she and uh, J.C. Bring worked together for actually a long time, and Jay had just bought the house in Benedict Canyon. It had actually once been owned by Paul Byrne. Uh, it oh, was, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Jameson, remember that name, <laughs> Paul Byrne. Uh, it was, yeah, I don't know who that is. It oh, was into that house. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was into that house that Byrne had brought his bride, Jean Harlow. And it was in that house that Byrne had committed suicide. Oh, spoiler! <laughs> Wait, Cielo uh, Drive. He killed himself in Cielo Drive. Uh, no, this was uh, uh, Benedict Canyon, where Sherry oh, Tate's this, this living. Is the year before before. This is the year before. This was at Jay Sebring's house. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's the house that he owns. Yeah, it's the same house. Um. So. Uh, Sharon was between apartments so she called Jay to see if she could stay at the house of course she she could um, she was there for that night um, she was alone it was very dark um, she said it was unusually spooky for some reason and she kept the light on by the side of her bed because she was freaked out and she said uh, in quotes I saw a creepy, creepy little man he looked like the pictures I'd seen of Burn." She ran downstairs, and when she got downstairs, she wished she was still upstairs. She said, I saw a vision of someone tied to the staircase. It might have been me. It might have been Jay. Whoever it was, it was cut open at the throat. Yeah, so she also says she needed a drink, and she was, you know, freaking out. Um, so she didn't know where the bar was inside of this place. Cause you know, she's just staying, started staying there. Um, and apparently every, you know, everybody's got a bar in this area. Uh, so well, something houses in the 1960s and 70s, they all would have had a, bars. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That was you're you're like totally a, right. Yeah. yeah. That was, I think. Yeah. Especially in a house in Hollywood, of course. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a good point. Dude. Like we live in this brand new apartment and i have a mini bar right? so. exactly. <laughs> not because i'm an alcoholic <laughs> um so yeah so she needed a drink she couldn't find the bar so something apparently told her to open a bookcase inside of the bookcase which is like behind the bookcase is basically what she's saying so inside there was a hidden bar and she poured herself a shot there was some wallpaper below the hidden bar so for some reason she tore it away and it covered a lovely copper base to the bar and she wondered why it had been papered over so um she she kind of freaks out you know and then goes back upstairs like still seeing the the vision and then still seeing this creepy little man 
uh, going around upstairs and then she sees that it goes downstairs so she goes upstairs and goes to sleep what yeah somehow (laughs) um when jay sebring came back the next morning he woke her up and she remembered the events of the night before uh and she's like it must have been a dream you know and he's like uh apparently jay sebring's downstairs and he's like hey who tore the wallpaper off of the bar down here so it's like the bottom of a dream yeah bum, bum, bum. no like, dream yeah the bottom of the bar has the bottom of the bar yeah. wallpaper covering a copper so why, yeah. and this you're saying that? that this was an article in a, in a magazine that came out uh, oh, and yeah. that was her answer to a question yeah this mm-hmm. was her answer to have you had a psychic experience huh and this was a, so you can actually this find was... this article somewhere and see that she this is kind of predicted article. her own death yeah this in is essence. the article yeah, yeah. Or saw her own death. Um, yeah, huh. and then yeah. So three years later, uh, mile up the road, she was her and Jay with Sebring were both stabbed, as well as three others. You're saying that that article was three years? I thought you said one year. It's three years prior. Oh yeah, sorry. Why does it say three years? You said one year prior. No, I didn't. I know, okay. but sorry. This this writing here says three years. You're right. One year. Sorry. One year prior, okay, okay. so and the, and basically almost again. a year to the day, she writes an article saying that she saw her own death, possibly, and then she's basically murdered the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah, because it was February That's... 1969, yeah, that, yeah, that wouldn't, yeah, that would have wow. to be, yeah. I'd like, I'd like to read that article, That's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, it was, huh. it was, it was a trip, because, uh, but it was also interesting watching that documentary and kind of seeing, uh, yeah, Sharon Tate seemed like a, a genuine person, um, she I don't, she never really had a hard time getting into the industry or anything like that you know it wasn't like um a lot of politics or anything like that you know yeah it was just yeah so like yeah she but it, you know I, I definitely appreciated uh her more but also watching the documentary knowing what happened to her it was a little a little depressing you know because uh-huh. uh, yeah the the reason they had gone in there is because they thought uh, Terry Melcher, or they didn't think Terry Melcher still lived there. Uh, Terry was the guy who uh, was renting the house, right? No, Terry was the guy who used to own the house, and Terry was oh, the right. guy that denied Charles Manson a record label, right, or a record contract, but or whatever. Sharon Tate unfortunately lived there. Yeah, and Sharon but Tate then... lived there. But apparently, most people believe that Charles Manson knew that he was just trying to take. Take kill his, someone. You know, kill yeah. someone. Take his revenge out. I, I mean, I heard that's why that they picked the Labiancas, which was I- ironic. I hate to say that because it's tragic as well, but that they weren't like some bourgeois pig, like they rode in blood, like pig. We're giving away all of it. That, that's Spoiler. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they had actually like earned their money by like working at it, and like they were, yeah. Which we'll get into next season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, nice. So uh, the last film that she ever released after, or the last film she was in was called 12 Plus One. You can still watch that. Um, it was released after she passed. It was posthumously. Posthumously? Um, is that, am I saying that correctly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I got most of this information from Wikipedia. Information. Information. <laughs> It's totally a new type of information. It's, <laughs> it's all mentally absorbed. 
I got it from Desert Queen, which was a uh, podcast, or not a podcast, she has a YouTube channel, Um, and Wikipedia, of course, and also CLOdrive.com, who had the inside scoop on the Faith magazine. Nice. Cool. Very interesting. I'd really like to read that. Now, did you get to read the magazine article, or you were just watching kind of them talk about it? Oh, no, I watched the documentary, and then I, I got the actual article, yeah. Nice, you'll have to forward that to me. I'd really like to read that. Yeah, that sounds totally, very interesting. Totally, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it's funny, because, like, like, in the documentary, it was mostly, like, every other segment was, and now she takes pictures, and now we take more pictures, <laughs> you know? Don't forget to smile for the camera, Sharon, you know? Like, weird things like that, and it was like, oh, God, like... <laughs> This is a person. Total sixties. Yeah, she's yeah. More, She's more than just pictures. Like you know, like that oh, was definitely yeah. an issue she well, was going through. Like, that's women in Hollywood. That's you know, no, <laughs> you know no, but I hate to say it's any different. It, it's not. Yeah, today. But it's so funny. Yeah, it was just really obvious. This like, because the documentary was supposed to like show that she's like getting into character and like and like they did so some cool stuff like her like at night she goes over her scripts. You know, taking annotations to which scene to get into character and like weird things like that, you know. But it was kind of cool. Like, one of them was really, it was like, you know, like in between takes, Sharon goes over to the snack table, you know, <laughs> weird things like that. And I was like, oh, that's really cool because, you know, like that's genuine, you know, that's like right. real. But yeah, right. yeah, she was, yeah, good, good, good person. The movie, I think, also. Again, going back to Quentin Tarantino's movie, um, they they portrayed her as a very nice, sweet person. I felt mm-hmm. so. It looks like they captured they they kind of got the same impression as you did that she was kind of a really nice girl and she wasn't all like you know I'm famous and look down on people. Like she just seemed pretty happy and sweet. That that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems right. Well, sounds like to me at least. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Well, it's funny you said that. Uh, you, you, like you said, these these murders or these stories that we're talking about are all kind of connected some way into Man- the Manson murder. Um, you gave me the Wonderland murders, and mm-hmm. the only, the, the, funny that you should say that, because when the Wonderland murders were uh, being, you know, uh, investigated by the police, when the police first arrived on the scene, uh, one of them was uh, basically kind of overheard as saying that this is probably the bloodiest murder they had seen since the, the Tate LaBianca, or since the Tate murders, basically. Yes. So they were kind of uh, <laughs> compared in a way. So there you go. There's your... Uh, there's your six degrees of Kevin Bacon right there. So. Yay. But uh, sorry, Kevin. No, I'm not lumping you in with all these birds. No, I'm excited about this story. I knew, I knew that story of Sharon Tate. That's why I picked that. Let's no, absolutely. Cool. Um, so yeah, so a pretty bloody, pretty bloody murder. Um, the Wonderland murders, or the uh, multiple nicknames on this, by the way, the Wonderland murders, or the four on the floor murders, or the Laurel Canyon murders mm. so you got you can take your pick you got multiple names for this Ooh. murder Wait, which one do you, you know? guys like i'm curious i don't i don't care four on the floor is cool four on the floor is kind of cool but so there you go yeah. like wonderland's got it i mean it's obviously the best yeah, yeah they, i mean they they it sounds so glitzy one. when you say it you got you got wonderland in hollywood you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i mean exactly. and like Hollywood kind of is Wonderland for some yeah. people, and like I wonder when I'm gonna get my break. 
Well, it also kind of sounds like you got murdered in a theme park or something, you know? <laughs> That's you hilarious. Six flags and it got like, killed. Oh my gosh. We should like, totally um... do a Disney death. Ooh, that's a good okay, idea. Okay, anyways, yeah. we'll Ooh. post it now. Jot that down. <laughs> so our story actually begins with uh, a porn star. So uh, this story has has uh, drugs, mafia, porn stars. It, it's it's got everything in it. Nice. Um, right. And uh, <laughs> for the for those for those young kids out there who don't who don't know, there the the first mega male porn star was a gentleman by the name of john holmes do you guys know that name does john holmes ring a bell um yeah. rings a big dong from all of the 70s or 80s porn that i've seen no yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know i know you watch a lot here yeah. and uh he's definitely popped up i mean just, just having any type of show is amazing with all that hair back then Oh my God! Yeah. Well, he, he, had a scrawny, he had a little bit of a mustache. Uh, he definitely was an '80s-looking guy. He was very skinny, but uh, his, his his major talent was his uh, dong, and uh, he had quite the impressive dong. I think that that sucker was pretty huge. I, I didn't go into research on how big it is, uh, but uh, if you ever want to see in. a loose interpretation of his life, you can watch the movie Boogie Nights uh, and enjoy that. So you can oh. check out Mark Wahlberg and show off his dong in the movie, and it's basically him. So. Cool. <laughs> um, but on, focusing on the real uh, John Holmes, uh, porn star uh, to the stars, um, basically uh, by the 80s had gotten into that CD scene of doing that. And of course, there's plenty of drugs in the porn world. And uh, he liked he liked his uh, he liked his cocaine. He liked his drugs. And mm-hmm. um, he purchased. Uh, OK, now, when I tell you this story, I, I, when I did my research, um, this is an unsolved murder. Okay. Uh, four people. Sorry, five people were murdered, and excuse me, four people were murdered in this, and the crime has never been solved. So, uh, when I say when I put the story to you, I have to say that this has never been proven. So this is the facts, or this is the story as I'm putting it together from the pieces that I read. Okay. Ooh, so I just want to say that first. I, I see. Okay. <laughs> so this is all speculation. Let's okay. say. Okay. I'm done. Okay. All right, so uh, John Holmes is buying his drugs from a gang um, called the Wonderland Gang. Now, they are called this because they actually live on a street called Wonderland Street, specifically 8763 Wonderland Avenue. Okay. Oh, wow. So he's purchasing his drugs from these guys, and he falls more and more into debt to the point where they're like, hey, John, it's time to pay us, uh, and he doesn't have uh, said money. Um to possibly pay them back or to get straight with them, um, he decide, he offers up uh, somebody that he knows that they could possibly uh, rip off. Okay? So he tells them about a guy uh, named Eddie Nash, who uh, is a local like nightclub owner in Los Angeles, uh, owns a few restaurants and nightclubs, um, but he's known to uh, deal drugs and is, is somewhat involved in organized crime. Uh, I won't use the word mafia, but mm-hmm. he's definitely got organized crime in his uh, syndicate, if you will. So uh, John goes to visit uh, Eddie Nash's home about three times on the morning of uh, June 29th, 1981. And in the process of visiting this three times, uh, he unlocks a sliding door uh, to the house, uh, allowing people to uh, get in unnoticed. Uh, Two people rob him, Ron Linnaeus uh, and Billy uh, DeVarrell, 
and they uh, come in gun, uh, with guns. Uh, they uh, are tying up um, Frank, sorry, Eddie Nash's bodyguard, and they act. They shoot him, but he does not die. He's just wounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rob him of uh, a sizable amount of money. Um, it's never it's never told you how much money it varies, but drugs and money are stolen amongst other things uh, as the house is ransacked and they get away. Now, uh, Eddie Nash, of course, is extremely pissed off, and he starts uh, putting two and two together, and he realizes that somehow John Holmes is uh, involved in this. So he sends the bodyguard who's been shot down to Hollywood, and they catch John just kind of walking down the street, and they grab him, and as they throw him, in the, throw him into the car, they realize that he lo- it looks like he's wearing one of uh, Eddie's rings, okay? Mm-hmm. That could have been stolen from the house when the robbery happened. Mm-hmm. So they throw him in the car, they bring him back to the house, and um, Liberace's boyfriend is there to buy some drugs, and he is, uh, uh, under testimony, says that he was there seeing John Holmes uh, dragged into the house and then tied up and beaten for information. So they beat the crap out of John, and they want to know, obviously, you know, who did this? Who, who, who did you tip off to, to break in here? And he tells him that it's the guys from the Wonderland gang. And, uh, of course, Eddie Nash is pissed. And he sends over uh, four guys, uh, sorry, uh, three guys um, to uh, to take care of business, to get his stuff back. Okay. So uh, John Holmes, on the night of uh, July 1st, 1981, at about 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, goes to the Wonderland house, uh, buzzes in, and uh, with the three henchmen kind of lurking behind him, get led into the house and they get inside and uh, basically just start going to town. Now um, there's five people in the house. Um, Two of the people that were involved uh, with all of this um, were not in the house. Uh, They were actually out of, uh, they were off doing their own things, but five people were, uh, sorry, again, five people were attacked, four people died. So these henchmen come in and they systematically walk around the house uh, killing um, with what they think was a hammer and a lead pipe. <laughs> because they found a hammer on the bed. Uh. Um, so uh, those are the weapons that they found. It was de- The deaths were um, blunt, for- blunt force trauma. Um, and uh, basically walking around the house killing, killing these people and tracking blood all over the house. They ransacked the house looking for stuff, um, you know, stealing back whatever they could. Um, and, uh, uh, as one of the, one of the, uh, okay. So the people that were killed were, uh, Barbara Richardson, Ron Lenorius, uh, uh, Linnaeus, excuse me, uh, Joy Miller, Billy Varel, and then, um, uh, Ron's wife, Susan Linnaeus, uh, actually, uh, is beaten severely, but does not die. Mm. Now, um, this happens at about three o'clock in the morning. The next day at 4 p.m., there is a moving uh, company that is uh, uh, clearing out the house next door, and they hear moans coming from the house. Oh my god! Uh, coming from Susan. Holy uh, shit! <laughs> mind you, this is about 12, 13 hours later. Okay. Uh, they call the police. The police show up, and they find her, and she's still alive. Um, they take her to the hospital, and she survives. Uh, she loses a finger. She loses a portion of her skull, uh, and she has permanent amnesia from the actual night that of this happens, 
uh, uh, that this happens, uh, also suffering severe brain damage, but she survives. Wow. Fuck. Um, one of the targets, uh, Barbara Richardson, is the girlfriend of one of the people that was involved in the robbery, in the robbery but it is not there. Um, and he's actually off in another hotel with a male prostitute doing drugs. So while he's off with the male prostitute doing drugs, his girlfriend is getting bludgeoned to death uh, on a uh, couch while oh she's sleeping. Uh, one of the other, uh, one of the other, sorry, when I, I originally I said that there was um, there was two robbery, two robbers. I believe there was three that broke into Eddie Nash's uh, because the third, Tracy McCourt, uh, was at home, uh, not at the Wonderland House when this all went down. No. So the four people are murdered. The fifth survives. Um, and the murderers get away. The only evidence that's left is a palm print um, on the headboard of one of the beds, and the palm print belongs to John Holmes. Mm. So John Holmes is arrested. Um, Eddie Nash is arrested. A man named Gregory Diles is, arre- is arrested, um, and they're all brought up on these charges. Now, the police are trying to get information out of John Holmes, and he is tight as a clam he's not saying anything he doesn't mm-hmm. want to testify in court he will not say anything um he does four months in jail because of this until he's uh, finally acquitted and uh and had been released but he did he did serve time for not wanting to uh, participate in the trial yeah um basically yeah. The, it goes around in court through year for years and years and years but they, they keep trying to get eddie nash on on this and basically he just they tried to have a they tried to have a, a jury convict him and and it, uh, one of the one of the jurors will not go along with it. it's eleven to one and so he won't yeah. go along with it. Then they find out that Eddie Nash actually uh, bribed that jury fifty thousand dollars or that juror excuse oh, me fifty thousand dollars. Um, so then they brought him back up on those charges and basically like almost twenty years after the murder, ten or fifteen years after the murder, uh, he's finally brought up uh, to do basically one year and a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine for jury tampering, um, running a criminal enterprise, and money laundering with racketeering. Um, wow. They basically catch him, uh, but they basically get him to say that, yes, he did send those guys to go get back his stolen property, but that's as far as he would admit to being involved in anything. So yeah. basically nobody is ever uh, accused of the crime or pinned. The crime is never pinned on anybody, the actual murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, John Holmes... Uh, doesn't say anything and he's acquitted because his lawyer says, oh, you know, he would spend time at the Wonderland house. So that palm could, could have been from two weeks prior to the murders, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's his court appointed lawyer, by the way. He didn't even have his own lawyer. That was a court appointed lawyer. Oh, I thought wow. that was kind of uh, yeah. interesting. Hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and Eddie Nash gets away basically with, with a slap on the wrist for the most part. Um, John Holmes dies of AIDS in the late 80s. I think it's 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, he dies of AIDS, um, but his ex-wife uh, comes out later saying that um, John admitted to her that he was involved in the murders, that he let the people in, and he stood by while they, wa- they walked around murdering everybody. Um, the, yeah. uh, the, her, yeah. I mean, of course, she's freaking out about this. And he's ranting and raving about it, and she <laughs> – this is the creepiest part. She basically uh, – she says, you know, like, how could you how could you just stand there while they were murdering these people? And his response to her was, they're dirt. Oh, my God. 
so that she said haunted her for the rest of her life she said she'll never forget him saying that Uh. but yeah so um and and then uh apparently uh you know a girlfriend of his this is his ex-wife saying this a a girlfriend also confirmed that he said the same thing to her as well um so it basically seems that you know he plotted to get this one place robbed they robbed it then it backfired on him he had to go back and tell them and then he had to basically be there while they you know they, they carried out these these horrific murders um yeah. again he didn't want to get dragged out anymore so he kept his mouth shut and was able to get out of it somehow and basically took it to his grave that he was involved in this in this whole situation so um again none of these murders were ever solved uh and uh, nobody ever confessed uh eddie nash died i think in the late 90s um yeah. and basically everybody from this story is, is now gone um there is a movie from 2003 that did come out, and it is called Wonderland. We talked about that last week, I think. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of big-named actors in it. I didn't write down who was in it, but uh, it, there was a, quite a quite a few people that I was like, "Wow, I didn't realize <laughs> this many actors were or these many actors were in this movie." So I'm interested in check that out. I'll have to take a look at that, and see what it. Uh, Isn't Val? See how it is. Val Kilmer. Yeah. It doesn't move. Maybe. Yeah, is Val <laughs> Kilmer in it? There you go. I can't remember. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's Val Kilmer. That's correct um so yeah so pretty crazy um what do you i mean obviously uh john holmes is definitely a huge iconic or well was a huge icon in the the late 70s and early 80s but to see him involved in this in this uh murder is it's that must have been pretty hard on him yeah you know to see people get bludgeoned right in front of you that's uh you don't and you know they, they said that uh he had blood spattered all over him so he was clearly close enough to be involved Oh um, yeah, you know he he came back to the. She said something like he came back to the, uh, back to the their apartment. Oh, and they lived in Glendale, by the way, which is where I live. So fantastic. <laughs> that. They, they were uh, managers of an apartment complex in Glendale, <laughs> but uh, he came back and he was ranting and you know kind of talking to himself and he was covered in blood and she, he was taking a bath and that's when he kind of told her about it when he was in the bath. So wow. So yeah, so. Uh, Neighbors, when they were being interviewed about the murders, you know, they said that this place was a party house. There was all sorts of, you know, bullshit going on there all the time. So when they actually heard people screaming, you know, they heard screams all the time. It wasn't anything really that out of the ordinary. Um, And one of the neighbors was asked, you know, like, well, when you heard somebody screaming for their life, why didn't you say anything? And she's like, you know, how do you know when people are being real or not? You know, how can you tell? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you hear this shit all the time. These people are constantly partying late into the night. There's all sorts of fucking weirdos coming by to buy drugs and stuff. Yeah. How do you know when it's a legit thing? Or how do you know? So, uh, you know, a lot of the neighbors were uh, just kind of, I don't want to say dismissive of it, but weren't like, we never saw this coming. I mean, (laughs) honestly, how many times have you heard like a scream that's like, sounds like it's coming from blocks away and you're like, I don't, what am I supposed to do? You know, yeah, call the sure. cops and they'll show up two hours later. Two days later. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You Because they're busy. So, I get it. You know? <laughs> or, you know, you think you hear a gunshot, but maybe it's a firework or maybe it's a backfire or whatever. Yeah. You know, you yeah. never, right. you never really, you know, it's not like you can go walking out of your house and, you know, go snoop around. My you friend uh, Dylan, I think, lived on the same street. Oh, we've been up there on Wonderland. Yeah, no, we've been, yeah. We lived, like, 
across the street or across the street from the same it was like across the street and like five down or something like that it was from there from the actual house so like but dylan's place was like made of fucking concrete like you could kill somebody inside of that place and no one would hear a thing plus i mean yeah you would have no idea where it was coming from that's yeah it's like all hills up there it would echo through the canyon stuff yeah yeah. Or it could just be coyotes. All of those houses up there, too, have such crazy, like, architecture, too. Like, the living room is, like, you walk in and it's, like, there's the bedroom and the living room's, like, like spiral stairs down below you and, like, right, they're built yeah. into the side of the mountain. Super crazy. I would like yeah. to Yeah. And then, that, you know, I... Uh, that, that's where we were talking about the Houdini Mansion. That's in Laurel Canyon, so yeah. oh, you know yeah. it's kind of a, Laurel Canyon definitely has a, quite the history around itself. Yeah, you know, uh, Manson Manson I think was involved in some stuff in Laurel Canyon, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, uh, I was you watching <laughs> this whole yeah, week. Uh, I've been watching celebrity ghost stories, and I ha- I came upon one that was it was up there in Laurel Canyon too, and it's where Errol Flynn lived. And uh, creepy ghost story. I don't want to say it right now because I definitely want to talk about it on another podcast. But yeah, you know, you uh, talked to me about um, suggesting some stories. I think that there's one story that I'd like to do that would be kind of cool because uh, I saw it on a celebrity ghost story too. But there was um, I won't I won't I, I won't give too much away. But they they found a somebody they they found a dismembered body in a uh, in a um, dumpster behind a very famous recording studio in Hollywood. Oh. So, so I'd like to I'd like to do that story because uh, the drummer from Guns N' Roses uh, was recording music in that in that studio, and he says that he saw a ghost in there. So, uh, uh, so uh, and that was the celebrity ghost story. So I saw that, and then learned some other things. So I'll go into that, but that'd be kind of a cool Ooh, one to do. Cool. Maybe maybe we could have you because I have a story I want to tell that's kind of like a rock story too. Uh-huh. Uh, involving Aleister Crowley and I won't say too much more uh (laughs) that okay maybe maybe like episode after next we can go into that yeah we'll Um, do like a rock star episode yeah let's do that sounds good yeah sounds yeah I mean we already checked the porn star one off the list right (laughs) yeah oh I'm sure there are plenty more stories involving porn stars we'll get more we'll get there well it'll be a whole season (laughs) horror porn um yeah that was a great story that was good. Yeah. yeah. Very um, good. Oh, wait. Do I give assignments or are you going to say the end? No, no. Yeah. Do okay. your assignments. Uh, oh, I kind of forgot what they were. Um, <laughs> I remember what I was going to give you, Jameson. Okay. Uh, I want you to tell me. Oh, now I remember them. Now I remember. Uh, I want you to tell me about uh, Gene Harlow and Paul Byrne. So, Gene Harlow and Paul? Paul Byrne. Byrne. Okay. So uh yeah i don't god i want to tell you uh we kind of got into it a little bit yeah well what did we mention we mentioned paul Byrne commits suicide but there's like some things about that that you'll find so okay yeah cool yeah yeah yeah. um you i wanted you to tell me about howard hughes and the ghost of howard hughes awesome yeah and by you, you mean Patrick. You, Pat, yes. No <laughs> I, I mean, I was kind of pointing at Susie, but, you uh, know. Susie, our cat's going to do it. Yeah. So. Um, awesome. And then yeah. I am going to tell you about uh, a death that happened at Universal Studios. I know what it is. I'm not going to tell you quite yet. 
but they're connected. Mm, this one right. I feel like is more connected than the last one. It's good. Hmm, so all three of those are somehow connected? Yeah. Well, kind of. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's like varying themes that are the same. Now I see. It. Now I see it. like it's not correct. <laughs> it is. No, I'll I'm tell you. Sure. You know, whatever. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> We're good, yeah. Oh, yay! Um, so, very cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, any any anything else to add? Are you guys? I'm good. Yeah. You guys good until yeah. No, it was great. Uh, some really cool stories tonight. Thank you. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was uh, those were those were really cool. Um, Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours and is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, Ooh. like, and share, because sharing is scary. <laughs> For more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. Yay! Thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll see you guys for the next episode. Yeah, stay tuned. Good night. Bye, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.